Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Fantasy Hockey Life, presented by Fantrax. Here's Jack Hughes and source of information and analysis to help you win your fantasy hockey league. Barkov has a step in on Stalock. Barkov shoots and scores! Here's your hosts, Jesse Sevier and Victor Nuno. Fantasy Hockey Life, we are back. We are with you. We are ready to talk Edmonton Oilers. That's right, the oil, the folks up in Canada who wish that they weren't hearing this episode Quite so early in the offseason since we're kind of going by at least the tiers of how far teams made it in the season. But here to join me, not only join me, to co-host with me, it is Victor Nuno of the Hockey Writers. Victor, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, Jesse. Excited to have one of our favorite guests uh, of all time on the show. And uh, it's going to be a really good one, breaking down a team with uh, pretty much some of the Biggest fantasy assets you could possibly imagine. So, uh, you know, can't go can't go wrong with with talking about the oil. Yeah, and uh, really one of uh, an extremely prominent guest, uh, Jim Parsons of the Hockey Writers. He is uh, he is a must read. He's he's uh, he's kind of big time, folks. So, I think you should be uh, listening to what we have to say. I mean, Edmonton's so fascinating because obviously there's McDavid and there's Drysidel. And then there are a bunch of guys who are going to play around McDavid and Dreisaitl and therefore <laughs> could be huge. And a couple of defensemen this year surprised us tremendously, I would say. So, it, yeah, it, it's going to be good stuff. It's going to be good stuff. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even want to delay it, man. I, I need some Jim Parsons in my life. We're going to take a brief break and let's come back to talk Edmonton Oilers. Hey folks, before we get to that, this is Jesse interjecting briefly. Boy, we think we're so clever recording these episodes over the weekend and then releasing them throughout the week so that you have a consistent survival dose of fantasy hockey life the whole time. But up and find out that between the time we recorded this episode and it was released, the Edmonton Oilers went completely out of their rocker and made this Duncan Keith trade for another left D. So that is not reflected in the talk here. Our apologies to our special guest who is uh, not going to be able to comment on that trade and its cap implications or its implications on bringing back other players. Obviously, this involves bringing in a uh, pretty significant chunk of change to the Edmonton Oilers. A little unclear whether it is going to impact our talk coming up 
about some of the other free agent defensemen because uh, you'll find a lot of them actually play the other side. So it's possible that they are still in the Oilers' plans, and that's kind of what I've been hearing from secondary sources at the time. Anyway, so we apologize that that will not be reflected in the content you are about to hear. It's still going to be a whole ton of fun and great information for you. So without further ado, back to the program and our special guest. today a man who knows about the Edmonton Oilers it is Jim Parsons of the Hockey Riders. Jim how you doing this morning? I'm doing really well thanks for having me. Good deal good deal well it's it's this morning uh here where Victor and I live somewhere in the uh, the great west it's, it's morning for you too right are you up in uh, the wilds of Alberta? Yeah it's uh, about 10 30 a.m here but I get up nice and early because where I live uh, we've got a little plot of land with a bunch of animals. So I've got chickens and goats and all sorts of stuff. So I'm up nice and early every morning getting that taken care of before I do any work. <laughs> nice, nice. You might hear some chickens in the background of this, by the way, just in case it happens, I'm warning you in advance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we're talking about the goat because we'll be talking about the goat later on this episode, at least the current goat, uh, among active players in the NHL, man. But, uh, well, we're real glad to have you on and, and talk about these Edmonton Oilers, because, you know, I, I think that the narrative around this team, I'm not sure what the narrative is. You'll, ha- you'll have to give us the inside scoop from Oilers uh, fandom uh, or uh, Oilers land, I guess, Oilers Twitter, whatever you want to call it. But I don't know, uh, you know, to the extent that we can talk about the Oilers this year, I think the, the first thought would be that they were uh, a disappointment in the way that they went out in that first round of the NHL playoffs. And, uh, at the same time, I, you know, I think there was a lot of uh, a lot of disregard paid to the Canadian division this year. Not not lack of attention by any means for the North Division, but maybe a little bit less respect for what the accomplishments were there. And yet, to the extent we can learn anything from one six game series, I think we probably had to change our mindset. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, of course, the last team to qualify for the NHL playoffs, beat the Vegas Golden Knights, who t- tied for the president's trophy and lost it on a tiebreaker this year. So guess they weren't all that bad. Uh, I don't know if this proves that the North was better than many thought it was, but certainly it is a feather in the hat that that Canadian hockey that was pl- being played this year was not just offensive, but there was a, a lot of quality going on up there. And maybe that uh, revisionism could apply a little bit to the accomplishments that the Oilers had this year, because even though, that series against the Jets, that that bad series that uh, took them out, that postseason flop, they had a very good statistical year, especially from some of these stars that we definitely want to get into on this episode. Uh, no, really no uh, doubt and uh, no question about who I'm talking about here. But the Oilers, of course, are trying to take advantage of historic players in their prime right now. And I guess just as a starter, what do you make of this just concluded Oilers season. And what do you think that Oilers observers think of this just concluded season? Well, I'll, uh, I'll try to tackle both of those things. Cause I think if I heard you right, there's some talk about the North division and how strong it was. And then where the Oilers sort of fit in that ranking um, as far as the Oilers go, this was the second year. So when you say disappointing, of course, uh, this is now the second year that they've left the playoffs early. They were in the playing round against Chicago last year. And disappointed there. And then, of course, they they were swept by the Winnipeg Jets with no one to saw coming. Uh, and Winnipeg Jets are a very good team. But 
Uh, a lot of people had the Oilers winning that series going in. They had a fantastic regular season. As you mentioned, some of their players were on top of the world and it just didn't pan out for them. So this is the second year in a row now, which of course is going to be disappointing for Oilers fans. As far as the North division goes, uh, I do believe that narrative was a little uh, lacking. There was a lot of people saying, you know what? Yeah, that division is not very good. All they do is play offense. They score goals, but nobody plays defense. Uh, like you said, Montreal got all the way to the final. Uh, the Oilers got swept by the Jets, but then the Jets got swept by Montreal. So um, there's a lot up and down. Uh, I don't think the North division was nearly as bad as a lot of people had made them out to be. And I think there's a ton of talent in that division. We'll find out uh, this coming season when things go back uh, to the way that they were and see where Montreal sits in that when the Oilers rank in the Pacific division. But I think it was overall a really good regular season for the Oilers again, and then a disappointing uh, run in the playoffs. So uh, they're going to be looking at making some changes and they're going to need to get over that hump uh, for the Oilers fans around here, especially in the Twitter world uh, to sort of lay off this group a little bit. Well, one guy who it's pretty hard to be disappointed with, unless you're just of that camp that blames the best player on a less than optimal outcome, is Connor McDavid. Uh, coming into the season for fantasy purposes, I thought he'd be the second best forward in the NHL, Victor third, and he was number one. What's not to like? 105 points, 33 goals, 72 assists. We're first in the National Hockey League. That was 21 more than second place. That's that's numbers that seem stupid, ridiculous, and unbelievable for any fan base that is not in Edmonton who has <laughs> seen that happen once before, depending on the length of their life so far. 36 more points, 21 more than second place in the NHL. But, oh, by the way, 36 more points than anybody not on his team. He was fifth in shots. And his inhuman 16.5% shooting is not an outlier for his career. Fourth in average time on ice among forwards at 2209. Uh, I guess that could be good or bad, uh, depending on the way you want to take it. I mean, certainly good uh, long-term. Who knows? Quietly set a career high with 61 hits, doubling his career norms. He turns 25 halfway through last season. Presumably, is that the peak of his powers? Uh, let's hope so. If it gets more than this, who can take it? If the offensive zone deployment was cranked up this year to 71.8% offensive zone starts, is Corsi Vore percentage 62%. What can you even say about Connor McDavid? Uh, heart winner again. Uh, will he be again next year in 21-22? And is there any chance changes around in, in Edmonton do anything to make his uh, fortunes uh, better or worse from a statistical perspective. There's a lot there. Um, yeah, McDavid is just simply amazing. I mean, I don't know what else you're going to say. Sometimes the shortest, briefest description is the best one. All those stats are absolutely true, and everything that you said uh, makes you just marvel in what this guy can do on the ice more and more all the time. But he's possibly just getting going. And that's the really, really scary part here is when we were watching him this past season, there was always this, ah, he'll never get there. He's not going to get 100 points in a 56-game season, can he? He's not going to do it. And then as we get closer and closer, people start to not, they, they just can't doubt him. You know, like, yeah, it was iffy all the way up until maybe the final, you know, 10 games or so. And then you're like, yeah, he's going to do it. Like, there's just really no way he doesn't. This is Connor McDavid, right? Um, and the, the point pace that he had and everything that he was doing Regardless, I mean, the Oilers played well and they were winning a lot of games and there was points around him, but he was just on another level. And he was on another level, like you said, compared to the rest of the league. I mean, it wasn't even close uh, 
Um, so can he do more than that? Can he get, you know, 150 points in an 82 game? Oh, who knows? Like, this is just an unbelievable talent who seems to get better. And remember, this wasn't that long ago that he had surgery and there were questions about whether or not he'd ever keep playing. Um, so he's come out of that and been better than you could possibly imagine. So yeah, your list of stats there just goes to show just how good this guy is, but, uh, just watching him um, tells you really all you need to know. He's just giving you wow moments every time he's on the ice and there's not much he can't do. And he's becoming a better all-rounded player, which is really the scary part because he's so gifted offensively that if you add that defensive, you know, development to his game and the takeaways and all the things that he's starting to do. Um, you know, we've said the same thing in the past about Austin Matthews. He's too offensive, but now he's got more of a well-rounded game. But David's well-rounded game is just starting to come into form. So who, whoever you put with him uh, is going to have a, a, a wonderful season, but it might not matter. He could probably play in a line all by himself and do just fine. Well, uh, unfortunately, I got to read another line of statistics to you. No, it's all good. I love them. <laughs> Because the other elite player on this team, or the other unquestionably in a different tier, just in a different stratosphere, is Leon Dreisaitl. I guessed he would be the fifth best forward, Victor the eighth. He was actually the third from a fantasy perspective. Second place in points in the NHL with 84 that's 31 goals and 53 assists. Uh, for anyone wondering, I mean, maybe you didn't pay that close of attention to the Oilers and you'd speculate, well, gee, it's because he's playing with McDavid all the time. Only 38% of Dreisaitl's five-on-five minutes came with Connor McDavid this year. He was playing a lot of uh, center, he's, uh, center in his own line for a good part of the year. While the lines did move around a bit, as they always seem to in these Edmonton Oilers upper reaches, as they look for just the right formula or, or just the right guys who McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl can kind of activate. The only forward he teamed up with this year for a majority of the minutes was Kyler Yamamoto, 63% of the time. He edged out McDavid in average time on ice, to believe, uh, uh, if you can believe that. Third most uh, average time on ice as a forward in the National Hockey League. Third most among forwards last year, that is. Anywhere else... Dreisaitl will be a celebrated MVP candidate, I believe. He would be the star of a team. He would be the face of a franchise, uh, most likely, unless you want to buy into the narrative that McDavid uh, you know, takes away a lot of the attention and, and allows him to succeed. But I think it's more than that. Uh, came off a Ross and Hart winning season, but I... Still think, uh, you know, I mean, people understand the greatness that's going on here. But anyway, he'll turn 26 at the beginning of the season. Doesn't really get hits and blocks. That's the only fly in the ointment for us fantasy players. But three shots per game are very good. And 15 power play goals led the National Hockey League. Four more years of 8.0 mil per. If an $8.5 million contract can look like a steal, I guess this one is. Annual cap hit, only 28th in hockey, below such luminaries as Jeff Skinner and P.K. Subban. So I guess that's okay. Uh, is next season Dreisaitl going to be as high scoring as this season Dreisaitl? And just what are, what are your reactions to getting to watch this guy play every night? I would say he's probably going to do as well. I mean, this past season was maybe, I wouldn't say it was quiet from his distance statistical standpoint for dry settle, but maybe in terms of everybody else paying attention to him, it was about as quiet as it can get because you had McDavid doing what McDavid was doing. Um, so dry settle didn't get a lot of attention, even though he had a fantastic season. Um, if you had taken away McDavid's 
you know, campaign. And then you look to dry and you'd be like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And this is now the second year in a row he's done it. Um, so if there's ever any doubt that dry settle can consistently be a strong player for you produce offensive production, uh, that should be gone. Now, uh, this is two years in a row that he's been extremely, extremely effective. Uh, and like you said, he's, didn't play a ton with McDavid. Now there's always going to be the power play because the other power play is dangerous and putting them together just makes sense. Uh, the average ice time I'm sure was a uh, contributing factor was the penalty kill. Dry saddle kills penalties every once in a while. Well, McDavid does not. Um, so he's a very strong player. He's big. He's hard to move off the puck. He, he just holds on to it. You can't take it away. He just controls the game uh, in a very different, but effective way than McDavid. So I think ideally what you want is dry settle on his own line. I think Colin's going to really try to do that this summer to set it up so that you don't need to have McDavid and Drysdale playing together. And that's the best Oilers team that you could have is when these two guys are separate and doing their own things. So I think he's really going to focus Ken Holland. I mean, on adding a player that can play consistently with Drysdale and help that production. Uh, Drysdale is going to get the points by on his own. Uh, he's going to score a lot. He might score 40 to 50 goals on any given year, but uh, I think if you can get him somebody like you mentioned, Yamamoto played with him a lot, but didn't really have a wonderful season. This was kind of a step back for, for Kyler. Uh, but if you can get him a winger, uh, somebody who can play with him regularly, whether that's Nugent Hopkins on his new deal or somebody else that comes in, I think Jai Suttle is just going to be fine and maybe even a step up, which is hard to believe uh, considering how effective his last two seasons have been. Well, let's talk about Nugent Hopkins. He's always been a sentimental favorite of mine. I, I think he never quite gets the respect on this team, uh, maybe because of, you know, he was a 1-1 and he never has been the point per game guy who maybe some people would have expected given those expectations. But uh, he's just been a solid producer for many years. I was glad to see he got that eight-year contract that, uh, you know, it looks about as reasonable as an eight-year contract to to, uh, a player who's uh, not short in the tooth. He's already uh, 28 years old. But uh, as as much as something like that could be, I think Victor and I both kind of had our expectations in line at the end of the season. I had him 52nd, Victor 56. He was actually 53rd. 16 goals, 19 assists in 52 games is a good pace, though his peripherals are not necessarily great hits and shots and blocks and such. Uh, I, I don't know. You, you talked about whether he would maybe get minutes uh, with the right centers to uh, really unlock some of his potential again. I, I don't know what kind of a scoring role you expect he will be projected for this year. He played only a very small majority, or he played a small majority of his minutes with Connor McDavid last year. So I can't complain a ton that he didn't have the chance to uh, to sit up there with McJesus. But uh, I don't know what the thought is. Uh, is it, is it dry saddle for next year? What are they going to do with Nugent Hopkins uh, now that the team is clearly committed to him long-term? I would guess it's going to be dry saddle uh, to start at least. Uh, I think they've shown, and I would suggest that maybe the five on five dip that, that uh, Nugent Hopkins took this past year might be an anomaly. I don't know that that's going to consistently be a five on five dip, but there is some concern around Edmonton that, that lack of production. Cause he's, he's excellent on the power play. He, he rounds you out there. He's pretty well rounded uh, a two-way player, but he didn't score a ton this year, five on five. And that was a concern uh, for the team. Part of the reason that there were some fans here in, Oil- in Oilers nation kind of going, well, what does a contract look like? Um, is he really going to be that effective in multiple roles? Can he play uh, regularly over the long haul in your top six? But I do think it's going to be dry settle that he starts with, because I think there's, a lack of belief maybe that he's got that chemistry with McDavid. Uh, and I think 
Ken Holland's going to actively try to get a winger to play with McDavid on that top line some at some point this summer. So if that happens, I would assume that Nugent Hopkins will start out with Drysaddle. Uh, as far as the contract goes, the five point, what is it? One, two, five million for eight years. It's long. Uh, but part of the reason that they did that was to get that annual cap hit down so that Holland had some flexibility to do other stuff. I do believe that for the first four seasons, at least Nugent Hopkins will be pretty effective. And my hope is that over the last couple of that, that he can still can kind of contribute on a penalty kill or the power play, even if he's not playing in your top six, um, then he's more of a death role at that point. Hard to know whether or not that's going to pan out that way. But the number, I think, Ken Holland determined per season was the most important part of that deal. They wanted him to stay. He's an oiler. He's been drafted by the team, developed by the team. Uh, they really like him. His leadership is, is excellent. He didn't want to go anywhere. But this is a very strange offseason and a very strange year for everybody in terms of the flat cap and what's going to happen. I would guess he's going to look back at this deal in a year's time or not even a year's time, a few months time when other contracts haven't been signed and players who thought they were going to get signed or sitting around not making any money that he's going to go. I'm glad I did that. Uh, even though it's a less, it's less money than he was making. And there's some talk that he was looking for a lot more. Um, he's probably going to be happy that he signed this and has the commitment from the team. So I'm going to guess it's dry saddle to start with. We'll see where it goes, but I still think he's going to be effective. And my hope is that his five on five numbers go back up a little bit. One of the guys that we thought at one point was going to be a winger for McDavid when he was drafted, especially was Jesse Pugliarvi. And he was one year removed from his hiatus in Finland, where he had a very successful campaign for his former team that he played for over there, Carpat. He had 53 points in 56 games in that 1920 season when it seemed like he'd kind of fallen out of favor and there were some some issues with, uh, you know, he was, didn't seem like the Oilers and, and Pugliarvi were on the same page during that season, but, you know, he really showed that, that, he, that he can play at a really high level. And, you know, he started the season back up this season, 2020-21, playing for Carpad. They gave him an assistant captain. He was on loan there after he signed with the Oilers. 12 points in 16 games was great. Then he came over and played uh, played a pretty successful role for the Oilers. 37 points may not be that exciting, but he averaged over 15 minutes of time on ice, and he got some looks next to those big two. His one minute over and seven seconds of power play time on ice was pretty refreshing to see, too, to get that opportunity. So, Jim, what do you think about Pugliarvi? You know, does he have another gear to his game? And would you put the would you take the over or under on a 45 point pace for next season? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, talk about a 360 for a player. Uh, this is a guy who the Oilers and many fans in Edmonton had just given up on, uh, that they were ready to move on. They were suggesting Holland just trade him, move on, uh, see what you can get for him. And Holland was patient. Despite all of the talk, he decided not to do that. And he's been in that situation in Detroit before where he's a players that he couldn't quite figure out contracts, so he just waited. And that's exactly what happened with Pugliarvi. And man, oh man, when he came back, it was a new guy. Uh, he was more mature. The team was more welcoming, wanted him around. He was positive and happy and worked a little harder and didn't wasn't necessarily entitled. I don't know that Pugliarvi was entitled the first time around, but maybe he just got some bad advice um, and sort of it went to his head. And that's so he went off, did real well, came back. And he's just been fantastic. Now, his numbers aren't exactly there yet, but there was definitely a step in the right direction. And I'm certain that there's a much bigger step to come. Uh, so this has turned out really, really well for Edmonton. I do believe that he's going to be a staple on that top line with McDavid. I think McDavid likes him. I think uh, Pugliarvi wants to 
do everything he can in terms of working hard and playing right. And he's got the size. Uh, he's starting to learn how to use his body a little bit. So he's starting to lay in the hits. He's not necessarily the nastiest player that you're ever going to run into, but there were moments last year where he started to realize that, Hey, I'm pretty big. Um, and he could use that frame and knock people off the puck and, and go get it. And I think McDavid just loves having that kind of a player on his line. Somebody will go get it, dig it up, uh, get to the front of the net. He didn't get a lot of power play time at first. I don't know. You might have to look at his numbers just to see when those power play minutes happen. But I do believe there was a little more confidence as the season wore on. Now, Tippett, uh, head coach Dave Tippett, has this tendency to go with players he really knows well. So there were moments of Pooley Arby didn't get to play in certain key situations. But uh, I think they're going to rely on him a whole lot more. And I think they've started to realize that this is a player uh, who is not the first go-round with this franchise. He's now a totally different attitude totally different player much more mature bigger frame uh smarter hockey sense uh i think the future is really bright and i'm not sure if you look back at that draft class that pooley rv came from that there's too many players in that class now that you would trade pooley rv for which is a really big thing to say considering there was a lot of high talent players that came out of that pierre luc dubois patrick Kleine, stuff like that i don't know that the Oilers would trade pooley rv for any of those guys right now you referenced Kyler Yamamoto earlier as a guy who maybe didn't live up to expectations this year. Well, it's safe to say he didn't. 21 points in 52 games. Not what you would hope for from a guy we've been waiting to develop and break out as a depth scoring guy, considering the types of deployments and combos he's been on. He'll be at 23 uh, at the opening uh, of next season, but this was really his first full season on the team after kind of a lot of ups and downs where he played partial or shortened years in the National Hockey League. Gets a hit and almost a block per game, which is nice, but barely shoots, only over one shot per game. Can Yamamoto increase his offensive role with the Oilers, or is he doomed to be part of this rotating winger carousel around the top centers, or frankly, even a lower line in the future. I think he's got another year. I mean, he had a really, really strong performance uh, in 2019-20 towards the end of the year there where he came up and he was really on pace to do a lot. But he get like 26 points in 27 games. Uh, he was really, really strong. There was a major step back this year. Now, he played a lot of the things. He did a lot of the things you would like him to do as a coach, right? He was aggressive. He would hit. He would get in there and grind. He never gave up. He just didn't score. Like it was one of those things where he was on a, a torrid pace at the end of the season prior. And then he came in here and he just couldn't, couldn't light it up and he couldn't get those goals that were coming in from the season before. So uh, I don't know if that was, you know, puck luck or just bad bounces or there was something going on there that he just wasn't able to put it in the back of the net. And I think he wound up with what eight goals over the 50, like just not what you wanted, but then he did a lot of really good things. And I think, um, there's a player there now, whether or not he, he's a smaller guy, he's kind of in the, you know, Brendan Gallagher, Braden, like those types of players, whether or not he can turn up his offense and become as effective as those guys, I have no idea, but, uh, we're going to find out this year. I, I would guess that as an RFA, he's not this down season's probably not going to help him money wise, but, uh, he should, you know, get probably a bridge deal. We'll see what he turns into and then we'll see where it goes. But, uh, I think the Oilers really like him. I don't imagine that there's a reason they would ever want to move on from him. I think they, he's got another gear. He just needs to figure out how to do both things at the same time. Like the end of last year, he scored a lot. And then this year he played a really aggressive style for checking hard, being everywhere all over the ice. I uh, just didn't quite score as often. So if he could somehow find a way to do both things at the same time, 
he'd be a really, really effective player, regardless of the fact that he's not all that big. Um, he just likes to get in it and muck it up. And I think that's really something the Oilers are lacking. And a lot of teams are looking for, right? That physical player who doesn't care how big or small he is, just gets in there and plays like it's his last game. And I think Yamamoto is, is that kind of guy. One of my favorite uh, types of models, archetypes of players, the little guys who love to hit people. Uh, let's move to the blue line, Jim, and start with Darnell Nurse. Huh. Uh, for us fantasy people, we are we are in a level of uh, ecstasy when it comes to Nurse this year. Victor and I both patted him in about the 30, 30 uh, second, 31st best player. He actually was the second best defenseman in fantasy hockey because of being third overall when you add blocks plus shots plus hits in the NHL. I, I was surprised. I don't know about anybody else. I was surprised. I guess Clefbaum being on the IR, my question coming into the year was the same as last year. Could Nurse take over the predominant power play role? Uh, he definitely did not, but he was the D1 on the team. 25-38 average time on ice. Fourth in points, 16 goals, 20 assists, 36 total points. 17 goals were tied for third on the team. Three shots, two blocks, two hits, uh, were amazing for those peripheral numbers. He had a positive Corsi 4 percentage. He will turn 27 midway through next year and will hit unrestricted free agency next summer after his reasonable $5.6 million contract expires. Are the Oilers looking at Nurse long-term and was this career high, at least career high for fantasy? Uh, and you tell me whether the real life a perception of nurse is the same as uh, the fantasy perception. Is it a fluke driven by a 10.4% unnatural for a defenseman shooting rate, or is there something real going on here with nurse and uh, a, a real positive progression in his career? I'm not sure that he's going to have the same shooting percentage five on five that he did this season. Again, that's pretty good. Uh, that said, Darnell nurse is a heck of a hockey player. Um, and we learned this year that he is ready to take that step. The Oilers have the ability to talk to him about a contract extension coming up this summer, and that's already started to kind of happen. They're going to start doing that right away. Um, he's going to get a, a big, big deal. Um, long-term, eight years, uh, big money. If it's not somewhere around $8 million, uh, I'd be shocked. Uh, he's going to be a number one defenseman on this team for a very long time. I'm curious about his power play. He did not play a lot. And that could be, and it's just me looking and watching the games and not really looking deep into the numbers, but could be because of Tyson Berry and the four forwards that typically occupy that power play. So then you don't need the second defenseman. Uh, but when in there, I'm sure he would be fine if it was a situation if Berry doesn't come back and Clef Bomb's not going to return this season and they needed somebody to play that power play role. I'm sure Nurse could do it. He seems to kind of be the, the guy that no matter how many minutes he plays, and we saw this in those overtime games against Winnipeg, he likes to play that much. In fact, he plays better when he plays that much. Like he's going to play 25, 26, sometimes 30 minutes a night. And I don't think he's even sweating at that point. Like he's just a guy that the more he plays, the more he's in the game and the more he likes it. And he does not have an issue at all playing half a hockey game. So he's absolutely going to be somebody that the Oilers are going to rely on moving forward. He's going to be a very big part of their future. Part of that leadership core right now, we talk about McDavid nurse, uh, dry settle nurse is a key, key part of that trio. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think you're going to see a continued level of progression from Darnell nurse, whether the numbers look exactly the same and it's five on five scoring a shooting percentage, things like that. It's hard to know. Um, but don't be surprised if he continues his pace, um, and just keeps playing more minutes and getting more points. 
Well, we'll definitely get to those guys who may or may not be back for next year. And there are a number of defensemen in that category for this team. But one guy we should expect, I would anticipate, will be back next year would be Ethan Bear. Uh, One more year from restricted free agency. His prior year, before this year, featured a down-ballot Calder performance. But this year, eight points in 43 games with uh, about a hit, a shot, and a block per game. Average time on ice dropped four minutes from 22 to 18. Of course, you know, the mitigating circumstance here, missed a month at the beginning of the season with a concussion. Is this year's uh, bear season uh, sort of the concussion derailed him from the start and he never got back on track? Do you expect him to grow to maybe at least like a 30, 40 point pace type guy with potentially others leaving and bear moving into different roles or or uh, I don't know, is Bear not going to be able to grow into the top prospect status? It seems like he had a couple of years ago. It depends on who you ask that question to around here. Uh, there's a lot of people who really, really like Ethan Bear and believe he's going to be a massive part of the future of this team. And then there's a lot of people who are like, nah, you got to move him now. He's just not worth it. He makes too many mistakes. Um, when he does make mistakes, they cost you big time. And we saw one of those in an overtime game against Winnipeg when they were making that comeback. I don't know if it was overtime, but right at the end of the game, uh, wound up costing the Oilers big. Um, Ethan Bear is a good player. And I think the Oilers really like Ethan Bear. I think there has been conversations with other teams about trades. We're hearing a lot about Duncan Keith right now and that Chicago's considered asking about Ethan Bear, but I don't think the Oilers are even remotely interested in moving him. That said, there is a log jam a little bit on the right side if Adam Larson, and we'll talk about this, I think you said, if Adam Larson comes back, if Tyson Berry's even remotely interested in returning, if you've got Evan Bouchard, players like that. So where Ethan Bear fits in the grand scheme of all that, it's hard to say at this point, but I do believe he's a top four. Um, probably not your top pair, at least not for a couple of years. Can he round into that? Possibly. Uh, he just needs to limit his mistakes. There are times on the ice where he looks as poised as could possibly be, and he makes a subtle little move and out they go. And there's other times where he'll just cough it up right in the middle of the slot. So um, he's got a lot to really like about his game. And then there's some times that you're kind of like, oof, that's going to be costly. And then you remember those, right? It's always the, you can do 99 really good things. You make one bad mistake. Everybody remembers the mistake. So that, that tends to sometimes define Ethan Bear. But I think he's got a future there. I, I believe the Oilers really like him and, and will grow into a player. Um, I like him personally. I, I think he's an excellent player. And I would believe if you moved on from him or you didn't put him into that role, we might be looking at a Jeff Petrie situation. The Oilers moved Jeff Petrie way earlier than they should have. And look what he's done now in Montreal, right? I believe Ethan Bear could be that kind of a player if you moved him and said, you know, you know it's not working out. Let's move it. He's going to bite you in the butt later on. I think no matter where he goes or does something else, he's going to make you look silly for having given up on him. That's my personal opinion of the player. Uh, but we'll see. It's, it's still a very 50, 50 on him at this point. Well, you mentioned one of those other options and that's Eth, uh, Evan Bouchard and Oiler fans have been waiting for the 2018 10th overall pick to arrive for quite a while. Now there's been a lot of hype, a lot of excitement. And after a really nice uh, full season in Bakersfield last year, where he had 36 points in 54 games, he started this season over in the Alzvekstan in Sweden where he played for Soder Talja and had 17 points in 23 games. And he finally played 14 games this season. He didn't get the best opportunity, um, but uh, 15 minutes of time on ice with uh, 42 seconds of power play time on ice on average. 
that wasn't great, but still he managed three shots per game, which is pretty impressive for, especially for that amount of time. And he had a hit in the block, which is like catnip to us fantasy players. If that kind of, if that kind of production can translate into next season with the bump in time on ice and the skill level that we think he has, it could be a really huge opportunity in season for him. I know a lot of this depends on what happens with Barry and Larson, but, uh, you know, we're still going to have to try to get some predictions here. And one of the biggest knocks against Bouchard has always been his defensive game. And while I don't know it was great, uh, his Corsi against was better than Nurse and Barry. So at least there's that. Uh, so what do you think is going to happen with Bouchard next season? And let's just, if, if, if he does get that power play opportunity, what kind of points upside are we talking about here? Yeah, if if Barry doesn't come back, uh, and the Oilers are going to go with Evan Bouchard, which I believe that they will. This is a player you want to take. Uh, he is going to score in bunches. Uh, I, this last year was an interesting year because of the pandemic and the taxi squad and moving things around and who could travel and who couldn't. And the Oilers just didn't want to not have access to Evan Bouchard, but he wasn't necessarily a regular fit if you get where I'm going with that. So he just was, he was in an awkward situation. He was upbeat, really happy, uh, learned a lot from being around the team. And like you said, when he played international hockey, he really did round out his game. He said uh, that it was fantastic uh, development for him. I I believe this is a player who, if he plays regularly, uh, is going to probably get you 40 points. And if he plays power play, could get you as many as 50. Um, this is a guy that if you have the ability to take him and, there's no Barry and he is given power play time. He has all the tools to really explode. And uh, I like Evan Bouchard's game a lot. It is, it's polarizing around here in Edmonton because he didn't play and people are really, really mad that he didn't play. But there's also that element of like, well, don't rush anybody. Don't keep moving prospects in before they're quite ready. Bouchard is ready. He's a guy that needs to play. If he doesn't get an opportunity next season in Edmonton, there's probably something going on here bigger than just Bouchard or like there's something else at play here. Um, so I believe that Holland sees Bouchard always has seen Bouchard as the future uh, on his right side. And he's going to probably get that opportunity next season. So I would, if I'm betting on it, I'm taking Bouchard to do some, some massive things next year. Well, we've talked uh, around them a couple of times here, but Tyson Berry and Adam Larson, we got to talk about these two guys. Uh, they're a little bit lower because they're unrestricted free agents. And we kind of want to know, inquiring minds want to know whether they'll be back. Uh, two heavy rotation guys. Barry was an unexpected scoring star this year. 48 all-strength points in 56 games made him the Leeds leading defensive score, while four goals and 19 assists, 23 power play points was second in the National Hockey League. Victor guessed he'd be 12th. I said 18th. He was actually the eighth best fantasy scoring defenseman in the National Hockey League. He had a block, a hit and a half, 2.5 shots per game, and that was excellent. Finally, we found where all those McDavid dry secondary points were going. <laughs> they were going to Tyson Berry. On the other hand, Adam Larson, big time in blocks, shots, and hits, fifth overall in the National Hockey League in the addition of those three categories due to the league's second highest block shots, 128. 10th best in hits at 166. Sounds like there's at least positive signs about Larson coming back and the according to the latest rumors, at least that I've seen. But do you think that either or both of Tyson Berry and Adam Larson will be in Edmonton Oilers colors this fall? 
Uh, first thoughts, Larson will be back. Barry probably won't. Uh, Adam Larson, there's been a little bit of news lately that maybe he's thinking about testing free agency and that the delay in him signing an extension might just be that he's not 100% sure what his value is around the league. I believe that deal will get done. I'm, I'm sure it's pretty close. It could happen right after the expansion draft. Uh, I don't think that Larson's going to be moving on, even if he does see what he's worth. I believe the Oilers want him. He's probably going to get uh, maybe just a little bit above. Uh, I think ideally they'd like to have him just a little bit below the 4.1. I think he made over his last contract, but that's probably around what we're looking at here, three or four years for that. I do also think that Barry would like to actually return to the Oilers if they would give him three or four years I think his agents probably looked around the league and said, we think we can hit a home run. He did exactly what he said he was going to do. He signed with the Oilers for one year, wanted to do this production really high, get those numbers up. And he did that. He led the league in points from defensemen. Uh, Ironically, he didn't get a single vote for the Norris trophy, but he did a lot of really good offensive things. He's still super polarizing. He's really one dimensional. He doesn't play the best defensive game, even though it's not nearly as bad. I don't think as a lot of people make it out to be. He's really a one-dimensional kind of power play, secondary assist kind of guy. So I think he doesn't necessarily believe that his market value is as high as he would like it to be. And the fit in Edmonton is really good. He's comfortable here. He likes playing with those guys. And if he could come back, he would. Whether or not you can fit him in with Bear, Larson, Bouchard, uh, and whatever else you put on your right side, that's a real question you got to answer. Do you want to commit $4.5 to $5 million to a player who maybe he doesn't sort of fit in that rotation. So I think Larson will be back. I think he's a unique defenseman compared to everything else the Oilers have on that roster. So I believe they think he's really important. The block shots, the grinding, the shutting down the cycle, all that stuff that Larson brings you. And then Barry's so effective on the power play that if you don't have cleft bomb again, uh, you might want to look at that. But again, I think Evan Bouchard's the solution there. So First impressions, I think Larson comes back probably somewhere near the same number he had in this last contract. And I think Barry probably moves on, even though I believe there's going to be more conversation between the two sides than people anticipate. I do still think Barry's probably going to be headed out. The other wild card on this defensive unit is Oscar Clefbaum. You mentioned him. Soldiers, shoulder surgery partway through the season. Uh, even though he ended up missing the whole season. I I don't quite understand why the surgery was delayed until during the season. He's got two more years of contract left. I I don't know. The Oilers count on him coming back in some kind of a role. Could he recapture power play time on ice if he did make it back to the squad? I don't think they're planning on him being back. I get the impression and everything. Like They're going to find out here in July exactly where he's at and whether or not he's even remotely capable of playing, I believe that it's probably 95% that everybody's looking at this and he's not going to be back. And there's some real question about whether or not he'll ever play again. Um, So I think the Oilers are operating as though he won't be there. Now, he wasn't exempt from the NHL expansion draft, which means the league has looked at him and said, hey, this is not a player whose career is over. So it's possible that he could return. Uh, The ideal situation, I mean, it really kind of sucks to say that he wouldn't be available all year, but... The ideal situation is he gets heels up. He feels fine around the playoffs. He comes back and he pulls a Nikita Kucherov or he pulls, you know, whatever. And he's able to play in the playoffs with no cap hit ramifications. That's a perfect situation for the Oilers because they can go out and land a secondary uh, left shot D throughout the regular season. And if you can get cleft bomb in on your third pair at some point around the playoffs, great. Ideally the Oilers would like him to be healthy and play because he's a really effective player when he's good and he's healthy, but 
I just don't think that that's happening. I think they believe that he's not in a situation where he can play. And there's a lot of talk that, you know, he might, if you saw him on the street, he would look absolutely fine and normal, but there's real questions about whether or not he can just do everyday stuff. And that, that means that he's probably a long ways away from playing hockey. Uh, whether or not he is protected in the expansion draft, I would guess he's not going to be protected. I would also guess Seattle's not going to take a flyer on him because if you've got a player who's that potentially injured, why would you want to risk it? Uh, so he should be with the Oilers next year, and he probably will just be on LTIR uh, for most of the year. Uh, whether they have access to him or not is totally a, new, a different question that I don't think anybody knows the answer to yet. Well, moving into the crease, uh, Mike Smith in goal was very good this year. Undoubtedly very good. And Miko Koskinen was not so good. Uh, <laughs> that's probably the safest way to put it. Uh, the bad news is the 39-year-old Smith is an unrestricted free agent, uh, although I hear he's in talks. He started all four games of the playoffs. He gave up 12 goals in total. But, you know, some of those games went right down to the wire. There was uh, probably chances that he deserved a little bit better than to go 0-4. Because of the three overtime losses, he actually played five games worth of minutes in those four games, and there were plenty of opportunities for that offense to back him up, one would think. He was actually the number eight goalie, Smith was, in the National Hockey League and goals saved above expected, whereas Koskinen was 79th out of 92 goalies tracked in that measure. The year before, the situation was reversed, though not quite as dramatically with Koskinen outperforming Smith. But uh, with another year of 4.5 mil on Koskinen's contract, I am not only floating Koskinen out there for the Kraken if I am Edmonton. I am rubbing whale blubber on him or kelp or pirates or whatever Kraken like to eat to try to tempt them to take him. Uh, What do you expect in goal for Edmonton in 21-22? And can it ever be a source of strength for this team? Uh, I believe the Oilers will get a deal done with Mike Smith. There's some talk that they're eh, him and Han just a little bit about what that's going to look like. Smith is the guy who is still really polarizing here in Edmonton, despite the fact that he had a wonderful season uh, and he proved everybody wrong. People freaked out when the Oilers signed him again. They just thought, oh, he's too old. He didn't have a wonderful season last year. And he proved everybody wrong. Mike Smith's the kind of guy who's in fantastic shape for his age. He's an excellent leader. He just fights and fights and fights on the ice. He's probably the most competitive person on the entire team. Might be one of the most competitive people in the entire league. You just don't necessarily want to bet against him, but there are a lot of people who are looking at him and going, well, what can he do this year? He can't possibly be as good as he was last year. And so that's going to be a concern, you know, at his age. And can he do that again? Or will he go and then just fall off a cliff? And that you don't know, right? That's the, the type of season he could have where he's excellent. And he's also good for a little bit and then has spurts where he's just not good. Um, the problem with that is that Miko Koskinen being your 1B or your backup is super unreliable. Uh, Koskinen is probably a buyout candidate. If they can't trade him, and I think they're going to try, they might consider buying him out. Now, James Neal is a player that it might be an obvious buyout here, and maybe you don't do two of them. But if if Neal doesn't go, Koskinen probably will. If you can trade him, and like you said, leaving him open to the Seattle Kraken is definitely an option, but I don't imagine Seattle's going to take him. Um, I think the Oilers would like to move on from him. I think they'll try to move him and get a different goalie situation in. But I also believe that the Oilers are not making it a huge priority, that they have other concerns, left wing, third line center, things like that. And if they have to run with the tandem of Koskinen and Smith again, they will. Um, I think they'd like to get an upgrade there. Um, and Koskinen is probably 
I shouldn't say probably. He's definitely not a long-term part of this team, and neither is Smith, really. So you've got one more year, two maybe, uh, where Smith is going to be involved. Koskinen's probably going to be gone at the end of next year, and you're looking at a whole new goalie situation. they got some good prospects bubbling up, but I think they're looking for somebody uh, on the market that they can bring in. Koskinen's one of those guys where you just kind of watch his play and you go, man, he can be some pretty good. And then he just has these lapses where he's awful for three or four straight minutes. He'll let the first goal in on the first shot of a game, or he'll let three glove high in a row, three consecutive goals on three consecutive shots. Like he just, when he's bad, he falls apart. And that that's a real issue uh, that I wonder if the, the coaching staff is like, we look, we can't trust him. Like, it's just one of those things where he can be really good and really strong. And then other times he just doesn't look like the same guy. Um, so I think that just has told every, the Oilers everything they need to know about him, that he's probably not going to be back. Um, and if he is, it'll only be for this last year. Smith, I think it's done. I don't know what that deal is going to look like, uh, but it won't, it won't, it certainly won't be long-term. Well, wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff. Uh, Calgary signs Jacob Markstrom, uh, you know, uh, Edmonton goes with Mike Smith, which one of those worked out better kids? Uh, I'll leave it to the jury. Uh, let's take a brief break and we're going to come back and talk some prospects on the other side. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Dig. We're back with the Dynasty Dig, the feature where... Victor Nuno, one Victor Nuno talks three prospects and change that we highlight with this Edmonton Oilers team in this case. And luckily we have Jim Parsons remaining with us to talk a little bit about them as well. But let's start with first Victor's no brainer prospect, Victor Nuno, who you got? Goalie Ilya Konovalov. Kind of surprising maybe that I would go with the goalie, but you'll see why in a second, I think. I hope. I hope I can make the case. The 2019 third rounder has been proving doubters wrong since that draft season. At the time he was drafted, he was an undersized overager. He's 5'11", so not super small, but a little bit on the small side for a goalie. And he was passed over that first year in the draft. So uh, he played 45 games in that, in his basically second eligible draft season for Lokomotiv Yaroslav as a 20-year-old, and he continued to impress after his draft season. You know, when you look at the hockey prospecting model, he's not as high as, like, those elite Russians, Askarov, Samsonov, Sorokin, Vasilevsky, but he's also not terribly far behind. If you bring up his comparable to, like, Igor Shestyorkin, who is pretty much one of the highest ones in that model, it's not completely dissimilar, especially when you start looking at the more recent seasons, draft uh, two, three, four. And in, in the draft plus three season, he's actually really similar, almost identical to Shesterkin. And then Shesterkin basically get, got better and better and better. Um, and Konovalov regressed a little bit. But when you look at the NHL probabilities, Shesterkin topped out on that model at 99%. I mean, basically, like, there's no way he wasn't going to make it 
and Konovalov is tapped out in that model at 96%. So you're still talking about a guy who basically it's pretty unlikely that he doesn't play a significant role in the NHL. So Oiler fans who've, you know, been have had some trouble in that for the last, you know, many seasons, as we just kind of chronicled, at least this season, um, they must be salivating at the fact that Konovalov signed his ELC. Seems like, you know, he's ready to to make the the move over to North America. And um, especially like some of his countrymen have recently and had tremendous success. So I know you mentioned his name briefly, uh, Jim. And do you think that they're, the Oilers are at least ready to let Konovalov compete for the crease or at least a timeshare as early as this season? And if not, when do you think he arrives and, and how good do you think he can be? I think there's a chance we see him this season. Uh, a lot of that's going to depend on what happens with the current goalie situation, right? If they are able to move Koskinen, if they come back with Mike Smith, what are they thinking about Stuart Skinner, who had a very wonderful, really, really strong campaign in the AHL last year? At the very least, I think Konovalov plays a lot uh, in the AHL, competes for the starting role, and then potentially gets a look uh, in Edmonton. But again, it depends on what their goalie situation looks like. Um, if they they move on from Koskinen and they leave that spot open for something they're not able to find. I think he's got a shot. I think he could compete for it. And I, I wonder if they give him a look uh, outside of that, if it doesn't happen, uh, he's the kind of guy who you, we might be hearing about in a season's time and go, man, he dominated the AHL. Um, and there's really no reason to keep him out of an NHL spot after that happens. It's kind of like what they're saying about Skinner right now, but uh, I think that could be something that, that Conovalov does. He just lights it up in the AHL, has a wonderful, wonderful year. And then it's almost inevitable that he becomes somebody you have to consider no matter what Ken Holland might want to do with his goaltending situation, that he's got to have him in that conversation somewhere and says, you know what, we got this guy that we, we drafted after a lot of people passed. Like we should be able to use him. He should be ready to go. And he's, he's an older player too. So He's got some experience and, and and things like that. He's he was fantastic at the KHL, so there's really no reason that he he shouldn't be ready to move from one pro league to another. If he's in the AHL, it might even be a short stint. If Koskinen and, and Smith stick around and neither one plays really well, who knows? You could see him a lot earlier than we expect. Yeah, I definitely think that's. I, I would I would like to see them move on from Koskinen and leave that backup spot open, whether it's Skinner, whether it's Konovalov, but yeah, you play three, you know, pretty full seasons in the KHL. You have to think you're pretty ready to be a pro in North America. So I definitely think there's a huge upside here for, for Konovalov. So I'm, I'm excited to see uh, what, what he turns into. And yeah, but definitely, um, yeah, whether it's AHL or NHL, I think it won't be long. So yeah. I guess my, my only concern not to cut you off there would be what is the mentality of the Oilers right now? They are a win now team. They've said they're a win now team. And I think Holland is doing everything in his power over this off season to use the salary cap money that he's got to become a win now team. And they need to get past that first round playoff series disappointment is there concern at all that if you rely on somebody like Conor who just doesn't have the NHL track record to show that he could be your guy, are you telling your fan base, are you telling your teammate, like your players, we don't know that we're that win now first round past it playoff team. Um, I think that might be something to consider when you're thinking about him in a conversation for, for taking that spot. But, you know, if he comes in, gets a brief look and he's just unreal, you know, sometimes you just can't be denied and, and you got to run with the hot hand. So 
he's got that ability, I think, to to come in while you and go, oh, yeah, well, he was always there. We probably should have used him a little while ago. Tremendous. Next, Victor, let's move on. Who's your need-to-know prospect in the Edmonton Oilers system? Need-to-know is Dylan Holloway, the 14th overall pick from 2020. Absolutely tore up the NCAA this season for Wisconsin. According to pick 224, he had the most primary points of any draft plus one player in the NCAA, and it was by a pretty wide margin over none other than Thomas Bordalo. Instat showed us that from his freshman to his sophomore season, he increased his time on ice from 17 and a half to 18 and a half minutes. His shots went up from 2.3 to 2.8. I didn't realize he was such a physical player. He had 1.39 hits per game in his freshman season. That went down a little bit to 1.19, but that's still a pretty physical player uh, getting, getting at least a shot per game. The biggest change, I think, was his net XG going from 24% to 85%. So he completely flipped that from being a little bit more of a liability while he was out there in terms of expected goals at that 50% mark to turning it around to 85%. That's pretty phenomenal. And his Corsi percent went up from 54 to 57. So you're talking about a guy who really dominated play when he was out there on both ends of the ice. And when you look at the hockey prospecting model, he... I mean, there are so many star comparables here. You're talking about Alexei Kovalev, Alexei Zhamnov, Martin Havlat. The guy I think he looks the most like in this model is Doug Gilmore, who was a star producer for a very long time. Not the same leagues because Doug played in the OJHL, QMJHL, and OHL uh, before coming to the NCAA and Holloway. Uh, was in the AJHL before the NCAA. And so that's the data we have there. But it's such a huge, huge jump from last season to this season. His star potential went from 8 to 15. And his um, uh, NHL probability went from 45 to 55%. So, you know, you look at all these guys and you're like, wow, there's so many comparables that are really high end here. Um, well, I'm sure the excitement in Edmonton is pretty sky high for this guy. What, what do you think, Jim, as his realistic potential once he makes it to the NHL? Oh, I, I think he, we're going to get a look at him next year. Uh, I think the Oilers are really, really high on him. There was some talk at the end of last season when they were eliminated uh, from NCAA competition that he might even get a look at Edmonton this past season heading into the playoffs. Broke his thumb, so that ruled anything out there. And I'm not sure how serious that was that they might use him, but I'm certain that he's probably going to be in the conversation for the roster, at least in the top nine this coming season. My guess is he's going to start in the AHL, uh, but he might prove to be too good for that league. Craig Button, uh, who's really, really good on prospect work. He's like super high on this guy. Like he says, he's absolutely ready. His speed, his size, his physical play. He can play in all situations. He plays on the power play. He plays on the penalty kill. He's fast and, and effective five on five. I think he's a natural center, but I believe they'll probably start him at wing and they could potentially have him slotting in on depth. One of the keys I think for Holloway is that depending on what the Oilers do in other areas, if they spend a lot of money on a top six left winger or they use money in different situations, they're going to need some entry level guys to fill in some holes. And I believe that Holloway might be one of those guys. If he goes to the AHL and he starts to really, he's on fire early then he might get a call up pretty quickly. And uh, I think he's got the size and speed to fit in pretty quickly in the NHL. I don't know that you want to immediately assume he's locked for a position on the team. Cause then you're getting right back into that situation where you might be rushing prospects. But I think the Oilers see him as, you know, 
hey, look, if we can't get this winger or this guy, we got we always got Holloway, right? And we can see what he does early in the AHL, and then we'll give him a call. So I I wouldn't be shocked if we see him uh, next year in an Oilers uniform. I also wouldn't be shocked if he's somewhat effective. Um, so look for him to light it up in the AHL in the minute he does. Expect his name to be in the conversation for somebody who gets a quick call up. Let's move on next, Victor, to talk about your keep your eye on prospect. Who is it? So we're going to go back to the 2020 draft, and we're going to talk about Carter Savoie, who was their fourth-round pick, 100th overall. And I really liked this pick at the time. I thought it was was pretty awesome value in terms of, like, you know, who you're taking, especially that late in the draft. He was drafted out of the AJHL, which is, you know, definitely a lower quality league. But, you know, when you're when you're dominating at that level, it's pretty pretty impressive. And he's he always had like great hand skills and vision, very good hockey IQ, deceptive in the offensive zone. So it was really important to see how he was going to transfer all of that to the next level, which was the NCAA for the Denver Pioneers and that's a big jump going from the AJHL to the University of Denver. And he did that really well, 20 points in 24 games. Uh, I think that's, that's pretty fantastic. Um, you know, he's, he's got, he showed really impressive vision, even at that level, finding guys that, uh, you know, were, were not even uh, think they were open and, and looking off the shot, finding a, a guy back door, a wide open for a tap in there. Were, there were a few examples of that. So really, really high skill set in stat. Um, showed us that in, in the NCAA, he had three and a half, almost three and a half shots per game with a with a 75% net XG. That's really good uh, as a rookie and 58% Corsi. That's that's phenomenal, especially for a rookie in, in a pretty tough league. So I like that. Um, in the hockey prospecting model, I think he looks a lot like Jake DeBrusque, who was a WHL guy and, you know, obviously has had a pretty average um, career. I think there was some disappointment, surely in Boston, taking him at 14th overall. But if you're getting Jake DeBrusque at 14th overall, maybe you're a little disappointed. If you're getting a Jake DeBrusque type at 100th overall, I think you're pretty happy about that. So I think you'll take that all day. Um, I'm not sure they're exactly the same player. I think Savoie has a little bit more uh, more hand skill, more vision, uh, and a little bit less of a physicality nature. But uh you know, that's just, that's just the one possible outcome in terms of like production. Um, so Jim, what do you think his realistic production is? He probably needs a little bit more marination in time than, than Holloway I'd imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the book here on Carter Savoy at Edmonton is that if you want to see flashy, this is probably your guy. Uh, he's super skilled, like, uh, offensively, he's really, really gifted when the puck is on his stick. He's just, he's something to watch. Like the guy has moves, from every possible angle. Uh, I, I think there's some, you know, roster or some well-rounded parts of his game that need to be worked on. I don't know that he's necessarily there in a lot of respects. And I think if you're moving him to some of the pro leagues or getting him into the NHL, there's going to be concerns about how strong he is two way, but in terms of offensive gifted scorers, he's really, really good. The fact that he fell to a hundred at the draft was a real win for Edmonton. Um, this is a guy that I think it was maybe even Scott Wheeler had him ranked as high as 32 in some drafts. Like he just was, he was a really, really strong pickup at that point. Uh, does he play uh, anytime soon for the Oilers? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I think he could get some consideration. 
um, just because he seems to be so skilled and so gifted offensively that he could probably pot you goals at any level. Um, but whether or not he can be reliable uh, in all facets of the game, not really sure. We'll find out. But um, I don't know that we'll hear much about him this season uh, just because there's going to be some other things they want to do first. But he's definitely a player to watch. Uh, and if you get a chance to, to look him up on YouTube or see some, some of the stuff that he does, it's pretty amazing. I'm not sure that I could spell Savoie right if I wasn't staring it right in front of me. But here's the good news. If you figure out how to spell Savoie, you have a pretty fair shot at spelling the guy's name who you're covering in the rest, Victor. Who is it? <laughs> yeah, that's Raphael Lavoie. And actually, I think uh, Carter is from Alberta. So he says it's Savoy. Is that what, is that right, Jim? You know what? I'm not sure. He's a Sure Park Crusader kid. So I got a chance to watch him a lot um, here because that's where I'm at. I'm in Sure Park, Alberta. So, okay. uh, so I know him from there. But yeah, it could be. There is a lot of that around here. There's some who <laughs> like to do the French uh, pronunciation. And then there's others who, Carter Savoy, Carter Savoy. Like, it's hard. I don't know exactly what he's going to want to go by. But uh, I could I could see it being either. Victor, yeah. these people, they need to get their act together. I cannot have this, all right? If I'm going to learn to pronounce this once, that's it. You people, work it out and get back to me. You can't have a Savoy and a Lavoie. Come on, let's let's get it straight. Yeah, I think I think Raphael Lavoie is, uh, does say it the French way, though, because he is from Quebec. Yeah, and he's the other guy that I wanted to mention briefly. He's, he's someone that I think in fantasy we've been kind of excited about um, for a while, especially before the 2020 draft when there wasn't as many exciting prospects and we were all just hoping that someone would, would take up the mantle next to McDavid. Um, although this seems like there's some some other options now. But, you know, even though he may not be uh, Raphael Lavoie that is the biggest uh, point producer, he has some grit to him and that might be something that lends himself to, to finding him way his way into the top six. He um, he had 45 points in 51 games for Vasby IK in the Alzvexten, and then he came over to um, North America or back to North America and had 10 points in 19 games for the Bakersfield Connors of the AHL. And and the best part though is when he was in Sweden, he had almost a hit per game, and he was getting two hits every three games in Bakersfield. And I think that's what makes him kind of exciting is that he's a little bit more of a physical player, and he was getting four and a half shots per game in Sweden and two and a half in the AHL. So those are you know pretty decent numbers and and positive next net xG in both locations. When you look at the hockey prospecting model. Not a huge chance of being a star, but he does look a fair amount like um, Brendan Gallagher, who, you know, average producer, but a guy with really nice peripherals. And I think that's someone in fantasy anyways that Raphael Lavoie could be sort of like. Um, so I'm wondering uh, what the buzz on him is, Jim. Is he is he is a guy who could be a bit of a sleeper? And, and do you think that we could uh, count on him for some peripherals in the top six? Or is he destined to kind of be more of a fourth line grinder type guy? I'm not 100% sure where he's going to fit in the roster when he does finally get an opportunity. I wonder if he's kind of in that Tyler Benson, Cooper Marodi, Ryan McLeod sort of, you know, get some time in the AHL, see how he's doing up there. Eventually, maybe get a call, uh, come up for a cup of coffee, go back down. Like if he continues to score in the AHL and, and play pretty well, I think the Oilers will consider looking at him. I don't know that he's going to get a lot of games this year or next year, what happens there, but you never really know. Like you bring up a guy like Ryan McLeod and he impresses pretty well when he gets here, doesn't score, but he's played a decent game. And now he's certainly in consideration for this coming season to be either your fourth or third line center. 
and probably going to have a real legit shot at making the team. I wonder if Lavoie is kind of like that, where he's one of those players that if he continues to show well and round out his game and he just takes an opportunity with the Oilers when it's given to him because either injury or a lack of somebody being able to play, uh, that he comes up and, you know, people are kind of like, oh, wow, you know, like he can actually produce for us or play an effective game in different spots. Whether that's a grinding role or, uh, you know, a skill role, I don't know. And sometimes those guys, when they get called up, they have to define that sort of game when they get there and they get whatever opportunity they're getting. Um, you know, sometimes a high scorer in the AHL doesn't turn into a high scorer in the NHL because that's not the role they're being asked to fill. And I think LeBlanc could be that guy where he kind of gets a lot of looks. He's playing real well in the AHL. They consider calling him up and then they finally do. And then they go, okay, well, here's what we need you to do here. Um, let us know how you do, you know, we'll watch you real close and maybe we'll send you back down or maybe you stay depending on how that goes. So I don't honestly know the answer to what his role is going to look like on an Oilers squad, whether he'll be relied on offensively or just asked to play a more rounded, smarter two-way game. Uh, we'll find out and whether or not he comes up anytime soon or not, but he's a guy that I think the Oilers like, and they're going to keep an eye on for a long time. I think there's a lot of people in the Oilers system like that. They're, they are like, you know what? We've always got this guy that we can kind of maybe call on if we're in a real pickle. Um, and Lavoie might be that guy. So where he fits, I don't know. But I do believe he's going to be on their radar most of next season. So this question kind of circles back to the top of the episode, which is the best player in the world, Connor McDavid. Do you think that there is a... Do you, it doesn't seem like there's a perfect fit of who plays with him. I mean, aside from Dreisaitl, which, you know, we want to play on a different line, at least sometimes. Do you think that there is a, a, a kind of perfect complementary player for McDavid? Is it, is it like someone who's real speedy or is it someone who like grinds and, you know, puck retrieval, you know, kind of thing? Um, because he's certainly had a roller, uh, you know, a, a revolving door of, of wingers. And, you know, to some extent, it kind of doesn't matter because he's so dang good. He can make anybody good. But do you think that there's... And it doesn't necessarily have to be Lavoie. I'm just wondering if there's a certain type of player that you think would would fit there really nicely. Are you asking for a specific name or just the style of play that that player might have? More style. I mean, if you have a name, sure. But I'm more thinking about the style, like someone that could fit there. Because anyone who's a long-term attached to the hip to McDavid obviously has value. No matter if that player is currently a 20-point player, he will instantly be better right but no one seems to really stick there long term so that's what i'm wondering if there's if they're looking for like the right style or just the right player or they just want to move people in and out at will my guess would be a shoot first mentality player is probably your best fit because when you see dry settle and mcdavid together and dry settle has it's one of the most underrated shots in the nhl there is a handful of players who have a better one ovesh can be one but Dreisaitl's shot has become so dangerous that he scored a goal from behind the goal line one time this year. And it looked like he completely intended to do everything he meant to do. Like if you can get a shoot first player on McDavid's line, you're in really good shape. I think whether that's a guy like a Mike Hoffman or something like that, where somebody James Neal would have been ideal four or five years ago. Right. In that situation, that's really what they would have loved to have happened was that he is a couple of years younger, a little bit faster because he shoots and he shoots and he shoots. And I think McDavid will get him the puck and somebody who likes to shoot will benefit from that and could have a 20, 30 goal season pretty easily. The people that they've put with McDavid in the past that haven't worked out are not necessarily shoot first kind of guys. Nugent Hopkins has a decent wrist shot. It's pretty, pretty effective actually, but he doesn't always use it. He looks to pass first. Uh, Zach Cassian, who they tried is not really a shoot first player unless you get him on the break, but 
he likes to grind and hit and sometimes take bad penalties. Like you just don't really know what he's going to do. Uh, dry settle is ideal, but you want him on that second line. So if you can find somebody who just loves to shoot, can figure out where to go, get himself open. I mean, David will find him. Like that's just the way it'll go. That's why not everybody fits, right? Because if you don't know where to go and you don't know exactly how to keep up or, or play, Pooley Arvey has been a godsend because he likes to dig and he likes to forecheck and he likes to get in there. If he learns to shoot, he could be really dangerous. Um, but if you can find a shoot first player, I think that's where you want to go. Nice. So, yeah, I, you don't you don't think that it's necessarily as important to have the speed. I mean, no one has the speed really like David has, but they don't they don't need to have like good speed. It's just really more about finding that space and, and kind of, you know, being able to unload their quality shot is really the most important thing. I think so. I think speed is obviously important. Like when you look at the players who've been affected with him, there are different kinds of speed like. McDavid's just burst fast speed. Nobody's going to keep up with him. Maybe Nathan McKinnon. That's about it. Like he's, he's a guy that when two steps and he's gone, a dry settle is really fast, but he's like a train locomotive getting going fast, right? Like when he gets to play in, he starts to pick up speed. He, he gets pretty quick. Uh, Nurse is really fast, so he can keep up defensively. But McDavid's the kind of guy that when he decides to go, he'll leave everybody behind, including the defense and his own players. Like he'll just go through his own, go through three or four people. You're not really keeping up with that. So I, I do think speed is important. But I, I agree. I think other than being able to just sort of keep up, uh, you just need to get open and he'll find you. And, and that may be more important. I do think the NHL as a whole, though, is becoming a league where if you're not very fast, you're not going to make it. Tremendous stuff. Well, I, folks, I, I probably don't need to give a... a uh a plug even necessarily to Jim Parsons, because if you are an hour deep into a podcast that just got done breaking down Raphael Lavoie, you probably are enough of a hockey fan that you're reading Jim's work every day, <laughs> the hockey writers, but just in case they aren't Jim, tell people where the best place is to keep up with you and all the work that you're doing. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a hockey writers fan, I do write uh, articles on the Oilers regularly a couple of weeks for sure. And then I have, a rumors report that comes out every day. Uh, so I do follow the rest of the league as well. Just kind of keeping up on trade speculation and rumors from really credible sources. So that's every morning you can do that. And I also have my own site uh, and Twitter at NHL underscore trade talk. You can go there and check me out too. So, uh, but you'll see something every day for me at the hockey creators. I, I love talking about the Oilers and I love talking about uh, trades and rumors and stuff like that. So that's a good place to keep up with me. So Jim, I know you're one of the writers at the hockey writers that, that has, you know, tons of, tons of great articles and, and really incredible following and page views. And so you're really good at, at getting a lot of good quality content out there. I think you are offering a course too, to teach people how to do this a little bit better, right? Yeah. We have a lot of writers who are fantastic writers at the hockey writers. And one of the things that I've been approached about by some of these guys who want to take the next step in their journalism career or just getting more page views or getting people to read the really great stuff that they're doing is they've asked me, how, how do I do what I do? How do I make a full-time income out of this? How do I get so many page views? How am I at the top of the list? And things like that? And I'm not saying that to some cocky or break or anything like that, but I've kind of developed a system as to how I write and when I write and what I write about and how I research what I'm writing about. So I put a little program together for uh, a lot of the writers or the hockey writers and for anybody in general who'd like to get more out of what they're doing. If they're producing content from writing to podcasts to videos on YouTube, things like that. There's a lot of tools and techniques and tips that you can learn uh, that I've tried to make available in a really easy to follow 30-day course. So it's called Boss Contents Basics, uh, 30 days, one lesson a day. 
15 minutes or less, really easy to kind of digest sort of stuff. And uh, I've got some good feedback on it so far. So I'm, I'm happy that people have enjoyed it. Nice. Definitely, definitely recommend that in terms of being able to, if you're interested in that, I think it'd be a really important thing for you to check out. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Tremendous. People need to do that. It's a must read for me every day. So thank you so much for being with us today, Jim, to break down these Edmonton Oilers. Uh, We love talking about them and uh, appreciate your knowledge. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me again. What great talk once again. I love having Jim Parsons on the show to talk Edmonton Oilers. Uh, Victor Nuno, you know what I keep forgetting? You know what I keep forgetting to mention? And that is that there was a fantasy hockey life playoff pool. Uh, I shouldn't even put this in the outro. I should have uh, said this. It should have been shouted from the rooftops at the very beginning of the show. But I trust that the winner of our contest is somebody who will listen all the way to the end of this show. And uh, and uh, it, the praises are uh, top of the show type of praises. Uh, tell us how that pool came out, Victor. Yeah, it was really interesting. I, you know, we last we checked in, it was going to the finals, and Nick uh, had five Tampa Bay players: Sorelli, Kucherov, Palat, Point, and Sergachev. And the other team who had a pretty big lead, but only had Carey Price going into that final. And that's Thomas's team. And Thomas ended up holding on with some stellar performances from Price. In fact, that game four win probably was the difference. Uh, and all of those Lightning players couldn't overcome uh, the deficit that they had. So congratulations to, to Thomas for taking that down. It, it was He had a very different strategy. Uh, and he kind of mentioned it in the Discord of, of taking... Uh, I mean, he pretty much took bunch players from a bunch of different teams. He didn't just load up on the guys that were, you know, going all the way. So uh, contrary to kind of the way that I mentioned stacking my team, which did terribly. So I guess maybe, uh, maybe, maybe that's a different way of doing it. Um, so, but anyways, congrats to him. Playoff pools are totally random and <laughs> good thing it worked out for him. I, uh, well, first of all, first of all, Thomas is a ringer. He's an absolute ringer. I, I could tell you that uh, he's because he's a friend of mine and uh, he was my, my co-owner in the uh, the National Fantasy Hockey League, uh, National Fantasy Hockey Championship this year, uh, where we uh, we ultimately won our league in that, and we placed uh, very high in the uh, overall standings for the thing. And uh, a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with Thomas and his projections, which are great. So uh, it's not a surprise to me that he would win a pool like that. Even though I, I agree, the variance is much greater in something like that. The second thing I would say about this, Victor, is I accept calling a playoff uh, fantasy contest a pool. Um, I am not sure about all the Canadians who keep calling regular season fantasy hockey leagues pools. Uh, that is not a thing that happens in other sports. Is it? Is Am I off base on this, Victor? Do you call your fantasy hockey leagues pools? No, not really, but I have heard that reference, and I guess I never really thought about it i mean it is a pool in the sense that you kind of pull your money together and play throughout the season but yeah usually we just call it you know a league or or you know whatever a dynasty or and i'm not sure yeah i don't use that term but uh i guess i do use it more for playoffs maybe it's because it's shorter 
and it seems like you're throwing in your money or throwing it away <laughs> anyways. So maybe I think of it more as a pool for the playoffs. Yeah, right. It's like a swimming pool. You throw it in and it sinks to the bottom. And then, uh, you know, one person's going to go in and dive for it and maybe get it, but the rest of us, nothing. Yeah. It, I don't know. I'm, I'm blaming Canada on this. Um, you know, I've been watching, uh, because my wife is watching the TV show Heartland. We're 11 seasons into that thing in the last couple of months. So all you Canadians, you understand that I know your culture at this point. So I am able to identify that pool and uh, the derivative form of that poolie, uh, which is a member of a fantasy hockey league, is uh, is something that I'm just a little bit suspicious of. But I'll give you the benefit of the doubt because uh, basically every Canadian person I've met is, is really nice and cool and we love having you listening. So uh, don't take it as any kind of personal criticism. Okay. I've dug myself a deep enough hole. Maybe I need to talk about positive things, uh, and hope that, uh, our Canadian listeners didn't tune out before, uh, <laughs> we got to this or our pro pool listeners, who knows they could be anywhere. Fantrax is the site that brings you this podcast, fantrax.com. You can play all the fantasy sports there even and especially fantasy hockey. You can get your league going right now. And there are incredible settings there. Basically anything. It's a it's a kid's candy store. It is the, the ultimate deep swimming pool. In fact, a whole water park for the fantasy hockey commissioner. You can do three-way trades. You can do real or auction salaries, deep minor player pools. You can find any minors player. And if you can't find them, ask them, and you could probably get them to add them. They actually listen and respond when you contact them at Fantrax. It's not one of the uh, not one of the big four-letter sites that uh, uh, that uh, seem to dominate the industry. They're, uh, they're the little guy as well, but do great stuff. Fantrax also has lots of content in addition to the games. There are articles on fantasy hockey, all the other fantasy sports, lots of podcasts. SB Streamer is one of those. You can listen every morning. Get yourself a little dose of streaming for the fantasy baseball, the discriminating fantasy baseball player. So that's something to tune into. We are also brought to you, uh, pushed on uh, Spotify especially, but also uh, friends with and friends with a lot of the writers from the Hockey Writers, where Victor is a writer. Victor, what should we be tuning into over at the Hockey Writers with you right now? Yeah, I'm kind of looking at the sharks in terms of their depth so i have a piece coming out on their right wing depth and then kind of looking back at the 2020 draft class is what i'm looking to finish up right now so yeah and then we're gonna we're really gonna be focusing on on draft coverage and kind of breaking down that and just so everyone knows for our schedule here on the show we got uh four more teams before we're going to move into our draft talk. So we got Wild Predators, Panthers, Penguins, and then we're going to do several episodes on the draft. Uh, So we'll take the weekend right after uh, and not talk about the draft, but then give ourselves a week to kind of digest it. And then we'll go full on for draft episodes with some pretty cool guests. So tune in for that. And then we'll go back to the teams that uh, made it pretty far in the playoffs um, well, and the Maple Leafs uh, to finish out the rest of the team previews. <laughs> Too soon, cold-blooded. Yes, sir, that is right. We are looking forward to all that content, and we are looking forward to the draft that is coming right around the corner. Follow us on Twitter. At Fan Hockey Life is where you find me. At Victor Nuno 12 is where you find Victor. We love to interact with you there or there on the Discord if that's where uh, you are willing to jump in and uh, be a, a part of a, a nice fantasy hockey community that's growing and getting ourselves ready for 
Dynasty offseason, fantasy offseason, etc. You can also rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. I think you can review on Spotify, heck if I know, or any other podcast aggregator you like to use, wherever you listen to us. Uh, if you give us all the stars and you write us some kind words, maybe other people will listen to the show. That just helps us to continue to grow and get attention because, again, we are the little guy. We're not uh, some big corporation out there. We love to get all kinds of people listening, and those types of reviews are ways to make sure that we show up high in search results, as I understand it. So rate us, review us, be with us, hang out with us. Whether you are a player or a poolie, we believe that you should continue to live that fantasy hockey life. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.